When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the first episode of season three of What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fuad, your host. The seasoned listeners among you will know that the show focuses on people's personal and professional crossroads and looks at those trajectories from key pivot points. My guests are multilingual, multicultural, and they are either from the Middle East or are connected to the region in some way. My guests are industry leaders, they are curious and passionate about the world around them, and they aim to leave their mark in some way. Today, for the season's inaugural episode, I'm beyond thrilled to welcome the passionate, talented, and charming Fatma Said. Fatma is a soprano taking the world of opera by storm. Egyptian born and bred, Fatma makes us, her compatriots, fiercely proud of her achievements so far. Not many people can call the iconic La Scala Theatre in Milan the launchpad for their careers, but Fatma counts this quintessential opera house as a foundational block of her education as a singer and as her first step on her way to stardom. From that point onwards, she has continued to break the mold on just about every level. Fatma tours the world as a soprano, bringing beloved roles to life in productions spanning the traditional languages of opera, Italian, German, French and Russian. In October 2020, Fatma released her debut album with Warner Classics called El Nur. A tour de force, this album sees Fatma crossing cultures from Spain, Egypt and France and encompasses classic opera with folk songs as well. A new album of her work is expected later this year. Fatma was a dream guest, open, honest and fun. She talks about her fears and her joys with equal measure and poise. We start our discussion today with our new icebreaker questions. The first question is based on the Malcolm Gladwell book, The Tipping Point. You can find out more details about the question on our Instagram page and on our new Twitter account. I asked Fatma what personality type from the book she most associates with, a connector, a salesman or a maven. I try to do my best not to overthink them, I'll be very honest. And I used at the beginning the method of elimination because I am not a connector. I'm not that type of person who's like also a social butterfly who knows this and that person and knows how to con- So I'm not that person. I'm also not a salesperson because I'm not, I don't have the best negotiation skills and that's why I have a management who takes over that part because I'm very bad at it. And I don't think, I felt it was more of a like a, a business oriented question that, and I felt that in my world of art and music, it was hard to also call myself a maven. However, I didn't want to leave 
Gladwell completely outside of the story. I know he wrote The Outliers. Yes. And not that I'm one of them, but I could definitely connect much more with the 10,000 hour rule. Because I, Tell me why, Fatma. Because I, 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 since I was young, I remember my father always telling me, victory happens when after 10,000 hours of work meets one moment of opportunity. And I've always lived by, by this phrase because I, I'm a believer. Like I, I, my profession is something where a lot of people tell me you're talented or talk a lot about talent, where I believe that talent is only 1% of the whole, of any success story. Again, not that I'm a success story, but I, I always feel that since I was very young, there was no day that I spent not working and since I was 13. And it's not only and I like I'm, I'm always working, even if I'm on vacation, because like talking about memory, I need to memorize all my texts. Like right now, as we speak, I'm, I'm, I have about over 300 poetries by memory in six or seven different languages. Wow. So in order to do that, I believe in the 10,000 hour rule because it's important to read something and just memorize it. I'm talking about the muscular memory. Yes. So, and this, there you need the 10,000 yes. rule. And, and then you're only able to do art if you have done the 10,000 hour rule. So it's a question of practice. It's practice. But not, it's, not it's putting practice in the three, four hours a day. It's so, like, I'm talking yeah, yeah. really about this very intense, focused, practice so it's, it was hard I'm sorry I'm not able to, <laughs> to give you a direct answer regarding the I, if I'm one of the three because I couldn't connect with but, any of them but I'm, I'm impressed that you thought about it enough to look at his other work and find a connection there it was very yeah, interesting yeah. to see that he didn't only talk about these three types of, of people he he also dedicated another book right. to a, a completely different type of Absolutely. people and again I'm not saying that I'm part of it but I'm saying that I could definitely connect with people who work so hard on something very specific to achieve something very, very specific in life, which I can definitely relate opera more to. But if I may say, yes. looking at you as an outsider, and I'm looking at the three types of individuals, you are somebody who is sharing information in the sense that you're sharing your, your skill set, which is singing, and so you're sharing that with a very wide number of people. So in, if you want to take it very narrowly, we can put you as a maven. That's what I thought at the beginning. Yeah. And then when I thought a little bit more, I yeah. felt maybe, but still, I feel that it's not only about sharing information. I need to, like the step that I need to take before sharing the information, I... It's the, yes, it's, you it's have to put the work in first. A lot of work. Yes. I cannot do anything of what I'm doing yes. without spending a lot of work doing it. So, so that's why I was between Maven yeah. and, and well, you Outland. you could do both. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah some, some people are, can do the three of them as and well. And what I've realized is that I find that most people are a combination of things anyway. Mm -hmm. You're not, it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. You're to, everyone has a bit of nuance anyway. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> Thank you for that. Our second icebreaker is based on social media, whether Fatma is team Instagram or team Twitter. This is a question that has gotten surprising answers from guests this season, and Fatma's attitude to social media is quite unusual. It was hard when I when I thought about that question because I'm not very attached to social media anyway. So if I don't follow anyone on, on, on social media, I like I don't have a personal Facebook account, for example. I don't have WhatsApp anymore. I'm like trying to to like So these are get, conscious get, these are conscious conscious moves. decisions that I've always had and I have like my phases and 
And social media does have a lot to do with my work. So that's why I cannot be completely disconnected. So I'm quite light when it comes to social media. I, uh, since I love to dance, I follow uh, like a tango, uh, the art of tango. That's one of the accounts I follow that I really enjoy because it shows you like slow motion steps that I really like to, 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 to practice see. and see. Uh, so that's important to me. Tango is very important to me. And I follow uh, another, uh, I would follow another account called Classic Divinity, which is a really cool page because it shows you like parts of performances of uh, famous opera singers uh, that are singing uh, 10 seconds of an opera aria, for example. And then they would show you the same 10 seconds sung by another singer and by another. So it's really oh, interesting nice. to see. So you can compare that Exactly. Way. It's really interesting to compare that exact part. Like, <laughs> so you wow. See, also an are opera you on fanatic. it? No, no, no. I'm not on, You're it, not on it. They talk about also singers that have been like that old are no singers that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that had a perfect technique, yeah. actually. So it's really nice to, to follow that. I would follow uh, my sister just to make sure that <laughs> I'm in touch with the family because my is family older, is younger than you? She's younger than I. There is a, an account called Greatest Reactions that is really funny. They just post, you know, you know, you remember something like America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. That exact type, right, that right. more like the 21st century. So the kind of thing you can look at in an airport when you're waiting yeah, for a plane. Yeah, just I, I'm not very deep when it comes yeah, to social yeah, media. Yeah. So it's stuff that would make me smile or laugh or stuff that I would like to f share with other sure. friends and family that, sure. that are light. And tell me, Fatma, why did you stop using WhatsApp? I find that interesting. <laughs> Why is that? It's the first time you, to be public about that. That's been only since maybe two months. Were you actually. being hounded by messages by, by a lot of people or? No, I felt that it's, it's, uh, I, I'm, I don't know if I should say this publicly. <laughs> no, but I feel uh, connecting with people has been so easy that we've been taking it for granted. And I feel much happier without it because I realized that I'm actually in touch with the people who I want to be in touch with and who want to be in touch with me in a very, um, in a, a much more personal in a, way. In a more real way. My family was so mad at me that I canceled the application. Because that I you have the family groups that you're exactly. missing out on and things exactly. like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because you're not in the group anymore, you weren't up to date with this and that. And um, it was a bit difficult. I thought I would deactivate it or delete it for two weeks at the beginning because I had a very intense working um, period. And then afterwards, I realized, why would I, like, I was so happy these two weeks. Really? <laughs> yeah, I woke up not How looking at my phone. You didn't and touch was, your phone uh, as much. At all. Yeah. I was very disconnected from my phone, and I thought that was very healthy. Wow. I write emails more now. Okay. And, and I think that's also very nice, because I feel you need to dedicate time to do that. Because we, I have two children uh, who are teenagers, and the phone is their life. Yeah. And true. it's extremely disturbing. <laughs> and it really worries me, because... You know, they're, if they're in a situation where they have no access to their phone, uh, you, I feel like there there is a withdrawal thing going mm -hmm. on, and it it just really bothers my husband and me. I understand. And I don't. That. We need to. You know, there has to be a way to to take a break from it. You know, a healthy break. But I need to also stress, I did not disappear. I I even have other. I realized on my phone I had Signal and Telegram. Like Would I'm you very use? and Viber. I, which which is which is activated on my phone yeah. and which a lot of people use now. Yeah, yeah. So I felt I I it's not like I decided to disappear from yes. I'm very accessible, yes. but only for people who actually want to be right. in touch with me. Right. So it's not right. like I'm making people pay for a phone call sure, to call me sure, now or sure. get in touch. Sure. So I can still have video yeah, calls yeah. normally. And <laughs>
Let's go back a little bit, Fatma. Let's start a little bit more at the beginning. So I know that you are uh, you were born and raised in Egypt. You were in a German school. What at what point in your childhood, early teens, did you realize actually this is a bit more than just me liking to sing? What, was there was there a moment where it happened, or was it a gradual thing? Explain that to me because. I, I don't have that gift and I don't know many people who do. Um, and I want to just understand how it came to be a, a viable choice for you as a, as a lifestyle, as a career. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot tell I, that I had a certain point where I realized that's what I want to do forever. I think, as you said, it came gradually because at the beginning when I started, I always sang. I cannot remember a time when I didn't. But it was never like I'm a, I'm the singer of the family or I'm, I sang with my siblings. That was a very normal thing to do for any child. So I was not a like like say a, a special child or anything when it comes to artistic matters. So they didn't consider you gifted as a child. No, like a normal child yes. who loves to sing and act and dance, like a lot of children. Yes, of course. So that's very normal. Mm. And uh, I I think it started getting more serious or like a serious hobby when I started um, being part of the school competitions in, um, at school uh, that allowed me also to compete in Germany. So uh, that made a big difference because that was the moment when I could compare my level to, an inter- to a more international level. And what age were you at this point? I, I started at 13, 14. Okay. And that was an interesting point because it's very easy to to be good at something where you don't really have competition and of course like in Egypt because like not a lot of people sing opera at that age and not even at school it's not really taught so intensely as in a mm-hmm. German school so it was nice to go abroad and see am I as good am I not that good people like Is you it worth yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. my age and compare my level to them and that's when things have changed a bit because I started doing good in these competitions and that really pushed me to actually enjoy it even more, uh, learn more and take my lessons seriously. And did that um, become a main focus for you as you were growing up or was it always considered like an extracurricular activity or did it take over from your studies? Did it become the main focus for you? Yeah, gradually. Gradually. Gradually, because I was also playing tennis, which was really important to me and tennis took over for a very long period in Mm -hmm. my life. And I thought that that was the thing, like that was the main thing that I'm doing and singing was just a side until suddenly both were equal and then suddenly singing took over. Did you have to make a choice for that? Yeah, at one you point, did a choice. You because made a choice. my parents were like, do you want to go to tennis or you want to go do singing or do you want to like, there, there were a lot of training, there was a lot of training happening after school and I had to make a choice eventually. How did you make that choice? I don't know. I felt I I enjoyed uh, singing much more than tennis. Like I love tennis, but I couldn't really maybe reach the level of success that I wanted. Uh, could be because I didn't, uh, I was not good enough. And uh, I enjoyed it as a hobby, while as singing was not only a hobby, it really beca- became my life at one point. And it's become what I'm really interested in, I, what I want to read more about. I wanted to be with singers and musicians. And like, I didn't have this huge passion with tennis as well. Although I really love tennis and I've been playing tennis since play? I was six. Not really. Not so much. Not really. You don't have the time now. Not really. Yeah. And so this was more or less, you were uh, you were still at school at this point. Yeah. So what, 16, 17? Six, I graduated at 17. Okay. Yeah. And then you went to university in Berlin. Yes. So you, you studied music uh, at yes, university. Yes, I did my BA in music. 
yeah, this is when I like right after my bachelor's degree, that's when I started professionally working. Uh, and I wanted to get away from Germany so much. I wanted to, because I've been always in a German system, stuck in a German mm. system, taught by German teachers and then studied in Germany, lived in Germany. So I needed a new blood, yes. as they say. You needed and a new, a new, uh, inspiration. Yes. Well. Yes. Yeah. New teachers and, and a new experience. I felt I also needed some practical experience because right. university was very theoretical and it was also a very safe space. Because I could try a lot of things. I'm at school, so you're always protected by teachers and the environment. And I felt I needed to go out there. And uh, that's when I applied to go to La Scala in Italy. They have the Academia del Teatro alla Scala, where I have studied and worked. They give you an opportunity to work with great musicians who um, who come and sing at La Scala. You can master classes. Direct, I worked with directors, I worked with conductors of very, very high level, and at the same time giving us the chance to sing at the opera house itself, smaller roles, medium incredible, roles. Fatima. Yeah, I was, and I was only 22 when I got there, I was the youngest, and, and that was also a problem. I was always the youngest wherever I went. Is that considered like a, a school? It's considered so it like, like a graduate a, school for, for singing? Were you with other students like you? I was with much older students. My, that's, my, I was saying that, that that was always not, not a problem, but it was a huge challenge all my life that I started a lot of things early. Mm. Sometimes I think back with, ta with time and, and I'm like, am I sure I want to do these things so early again? Because I was very young, immature. My voice was not so mature. I always felt I had to do double the work because right. I was 22. People who were with me on that course were, were 28, 29, 27, 30. And because they had already finished their master's, they finished like a higher degree in opera. And then they come and have this icing on the I cake see. of La Scala. And I then see. La Scala would expect you to like be all over the world afterwards because you're like a product of, of, course. of their of course. academy. And I only had a bachelor degree mm. and I was quite surprised I've been taken, yeah. but I didn't realize how hard it will be until I was part of the program. And the program was for how long? Three years? It was for two years. Two years. And then I stayed for an extra year to work. It was the best experience of my life, the best years of my life. I, it's been a dream to live in Italy all my life. So I, and I always wanted to learn the language. So I was so happy. And now you speak Italian? Absolutely. You, yeah. So you understand it. To. You don't just sing it. No, of course. You understand it's, it. It's uh, the, the operatic language. And already you had the German from growing up. So there's a lot of opera in German already. Yes. So German and, and Italian are the main opera languages, aren't they? German, Italian, French, and some Spanish as well. Right. These are the main languages. And But of course, there's big Russian repertoire, for example. Of course. But see, that's a language, for example, that I'm, I worked so hard to learn it. Yeah. And Fair I've enough. had Russian workshops. However, I had a big problem with remembering what I'm saying, mm, for example. Mm, mm. So I realized I don't want to sing this language as long as I'm not understanding every word because I could not, could not remember every word. What's your favorite language to sing in? Is there a favorite language? I think that every language has its beauty. And I enjoy every, every beauty of each language, I must admit. It's hard. So another related question. <laughs> Is there a, a favorite role that you've played so far that you love the most? Yes, absolutely. Like I enjoy them all, but I definitely enjoyed the, I loved Nanetta from Falstaff. This is where the last opera that Verdi wrote. 
I love this role very, very much. Why? It, it was a young girl who was in love. I could really connect with that girl because I sang the role when I was quite young as well. And she was the youngest in the opera and she was sneaking the whole time be behind paravans and behind uh, so it felt closed rooms yeah, in order to yeah. see her boyfriend. Yeah. And she doesn't want her family to know. And I thought there was a lot. And you see, that's the beauty about opera is like, if I have never done that in real life, I'm doing it in an opera. Yeah. And it's like, I always think we get to live one life, but in opera, I get to live so many different lives. I get to be a queen and I get to be a slave and I get to be a young girl yeah. who's hiding from her parents that she's in love with a yeah. guy that they are not agreeing with. So you're an actress. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a wonderful thing. No, no, you escape yeah. into different worlds. You cannot be an opera singer without yeah, being an actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what was the role that you found the most challenging? I, I did the magic flute a lot. And, and I think Pamina is not a very easy role. I mean, it's uh, Mozart is wonderful. The music is very accessible. But I think Pamina is a role that develops throughout the opera. She is not the same person she was when she started the first act. And it's like every act, I feel she grows up a few years. So every time I go on stage, I need to have a completely different kind of maturity level in my voice and my body language. Yeah. And I enjoyed very much working with several uh, directors about how to access this role and how to change my body language, how to say, how to change how I, I cannot change the notes, but I can change how I'm performing them. How you and interpret how I'm singing them. them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I love this philosophy in the, in the role. And what is the role that you haven't had yet that you're dying to oh, So take? many, so many. Give me a couple. I I'm dying to die on stage. Oh, uh, that wow. I haven't done okay. yet. <laughs> These are the best roles. This is very dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, opera is dramatic. Of course. And you have to take it very seriously. Of course. And then the audience are 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 in your hands you know they're yeah. just with you along the yeah. way it's amazing yeah. and again you see you get to die and you and you get to re-die again it's yeah, beautiful yeah. and you get to live and sometimes in some operas you get to die and people make you but live so like who, who madame butterfly for example madame butterfly of course that's yeah. a it's a it's a classic isn't that's it? a classic and a beautiful role and the way she dies is yeah. also dramatic yeah. because she like i'm not going to talk about the opera yeah. now but it's, she actually decides to kill herself and but right before killing yourself, hearing your, the mm. sound of your child. Yeah. Like, it's very, very dramatic. It's, uh, it's like a lot of, uh, a lot of issues there. Yeah. <laughs> and or, or a Traviata, yeah. or a Manon, uh, or, or a Mimi in La Boheme. I think yeah. these are all yeah. great trade yeah, roles yeah. Where, yeah. They, where they die in the end. When we come back, I talk to Fatma about success and burnout and her album El Noor. That's right after this short break. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hala Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. 
For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hala Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Malak Fuad and you're listening to What I Did Next. And our guest is the uber-talented Fatma Saeed. Give me a sense of um, uh, what your schedule is like. I'm not going to ask you what your day is like because I know <laughs> that there's no such thing as a as a common or an, or an average day. But um, I know that your, your schedule is planned months and years ahead. Mm-hmm. What is that like to 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 have that kind of um, a lifestyle? Uh, it's a tough lifestyle, but I think uh, thanks to the German education, if I'm a good planner, you said you're a good planner as well. Yeah. But if I'm a good planner, I think things should fall into place. But I'm generally very anxious about the way we manage um, opera productions or we put dates for concerts because it's very easy to to be talking intensely, for example, about something that will happen in two, three years or four or five years. But tell me, how did the corona period affect that world? I mean, did did people learn lessons that you can plan and plan, but things happen and things just stop and you have to just figure things out as you go along. Did it have an impact? Of course, a very strong yeah. one. I'm very angry about how a lot of promoters handled the art in the art industry in general. And I thought that uh, it was it was quite unfair to a lot of musicians. Tell me I more was about in, that. I was in a very risky situation because I chose a risky path in opera because I chose to be a freelancer, which means I choose my product projects, uh, I choose my productions, my roles, I choose when to be where, which is lovely, and I think that's luxury. However, because I'm a freelancer, I couldn't do any of that. Like my friends of mine who were part of opera ensembles still earn their money monthly. Yeah, fr- friends I know were on furlough. They still had an income. An income, yeah. I had zero income almost for a year and a half. So that's also, part- I never thought that this would happen. Of course. But that's the risk I'm taking when I am a freelancer. Of course. Because the rewards are also greater on the other side. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that was, of course, like quite difficult for me. However, I think I was lucky in a way. I cannot really complain because I had just released my album. So there was a lot happening on social media and I had to really adapt to what is what 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 do I need to do now that was different from a live performance and but then I with time a, a virtual concert is not a replacement. No, of course so not. So I wanted so much this period to end uh in order to go back to the, a live audience again because it was very I want to talk time. to you about the album but Talk to me more about the the the, the, the this lifestyle of mm-hmm. of the, the the planning and the scheduling and um, and and do you feel that your time is your own? Because you are mm-hmm. a freelancer, so you are, I guess, in control more of that. Yes. So, like in comparison to Corona, usually I have, for example, a schedule where I have a, a concert every two weeks, for example, or every three weeks, or sometimes every day. But then I make it a point to rest for a longer period of time. And in between, I'm always studying. I'm studying on the plane. I'm studying at the airport. I'm studying in the taxi. I'm living, as I said, out of a suitcase. And so what do you mean by studying? Like memorizing? Yeah, memori- making reading, sure. Reading the music? Yeah, because I don't like to read the music in the concert. Sometimes you're allowed to, 
but I feel that I, I love to make myself completely free. And, um, you know, when you know something by heart to the point that if you forget the words, your mouth does it by itself. That's the level I try to always reach when I learn my music, that if I forget, because I, I was reading this book by Michael Caine. He was talking about uh, his uh, his experience in Michael acting. Michael Caine, the actor? Yes. Yeah. Uh, his, he wrote a beautiful book about how, um, like his experience as an actor and how he started out. And, and then he there was a chapter where he talked about how he was memorizing his texts. And then he was saying, unless you know your text, like really inside out, um, you will never be able to be free in the moment when there are cameras and then there, when there's an audience in theater and people watching you or a big director yeah. that wants to spot you, you, half of your brain is already frozen. So unless the memories in your You have to muscles, feel like they're your own words. Almost. Yeah, no, they have to be in your body yes. and then you think about art. But you cannot think about this both in the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So that's the level I try to, to reach. And in order to do that, you have to like, re re uh say the lines the whole time in your head and do you work with someone for that or do you walk around the house speaking to yourself yeah i walk around the house <laughs> i walk around the house i i'm in i walk in the street uh, singing in my head sometimes uh, that's very bad when you're talking to someone and then you think about text that's a bit embarrassing yeah. but if, if you do it in a subtle way yeah, that's okay yeah 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 i know that you are extremely careful with yourself in terms of um, you, how you look after yourself, what they call now self-care, you know, the, the, yeah. Yeah, the idea of your diet, your rest, your sleep. Tell me a bit about that, because when we first spoke, when we were planning the interview, um, I had never, I mean, I, I guess I, I thought about it, but I never realized how important your well-being is to your, to your, your job. Mm -hmm. um, and you were telling me a lot about your diet, the, the, the food you were eating, the things you don't eat and how it all impacts. I believe like with the experience I've had, I think that anything in my daily life that happens affects my voice. The voice is a very, very, very sensitive area in the body that I never got to see. And that's why I have to learn to always feel how, how it is. like. Even if it's injured, I need to think or feel that it is injured in order to treat it and all a lot of uh, uh of a lot of how, how do you say that in english uh, it is affected by a lot of different elements in life it is affected by the weather for example like if it's too humid or if it's too dry when i travel to a new country and it's suddenly too cold and i'm used to to uh like more of a normal weather uh ac i cannot sleep with an ac on because it dries up my voice quite quickly and it takes it a very long time to warm, warm up the next day or it can even hurt the vocal folds. Um, how I speak to people, my speaking voice is the number one rule of to keep a he healthy voice. If you, we learned how to sing, I have a technique of how I sing. We never learn how to speak. We just spoke. That's true. So we never learn how to use our bodies to speak. And that's why a lot of like um, professors in universities, they have big vocal, pro vocal problems sometimes because they suddenly feel they need to speak loudly to a big classroom and then, or teachers, and then they realize that they're not using their voice properly. Um, uh, uh, women who work in kindergartens, they speak in a very high pitch to kids. <laughs> they're like that. <laughs> yeah. And that's very unhealthy as well. So we didn't learn how to speak. We just speak very instinctively. Instinctively. Yeah. And in singing, I had to learn how to speak because if I speak for a long period of time, like many years, if I speak wrongly, 
And that I will never notice if I'm not an opera singer can have a very, very strong effect to um, my my singing voice because the singing it, we it's I, I don't want to compare it with pop or jazz, but in opera, we have to reach very, very high pitches as, as a soprano, for example, which means that I need very, very, very healthy vocal folds that close perfectly like the vocal folds. They 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 do these vibrations and these vibrations need to close perfectly in order to produce mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. beautiful high notes mm -hmm. without them feeling pushed or anything. In order to do that, the the whole body needs to be in perfect shape because yeah. everything I drink, everything I eat affects not the folds directly, but affects everything around them, which are the muscles, the speaking muscles, and also being tense or nervous about anything. Of course, it hits the voice mm -hmm. because you know when when uh, when you are nervous, the first thing you realize about yourself is that you're unable to breathe, breathe and you tense up and you don't breathe properly. Yeah. And breathing is the first key to proper singing. If you if you don't if I don't know how to breathe, I won't be able to know how to sing. So there and of course the emo emotional factors. I think that if I am sad and if something bad happens that is occupying my mind, it can have a direct effect on my voice and my performance as well. And if something good happens, I always believe that you know if you are in love and happy. You don't need these 10 hours to sleep. You will perform perfectly as well. So but you will only once or twice, but the long yeah, term, absolutely. of course, absolutely. you can live on that for a while. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but these are temporary of things, course, obviously. Of course. But and you mentioned uh, to me before the keeping your immune system optimum is also extremely important. Absolutely. Yeah. We always say that a singer can notice when he or she are going to catch a cold already a week before the yeah, cold. That's I amazing. feel it. I, feel I know it. it. I know on next Friday yeah. I will have a cold that's and I get it. <laughs> that's unbelievable. It's a bit strange. It's very strange. But it's part of being connected yeah, to yourself. Yeah, you're very in tune with your body. Very, very much. So you mentioned to me uh, also that a few years ago when you were maybe 24, 25, that you were burning out from the pace of your life and the and the career. And what did you learn from that? Because I think that was potentially an important pivot for you too. Definitely. In terms of how to go forward after that. I think the pressure back then was very, very high. And this is like what I'm doing is, you know, high performance uh, type of job, which requires my person, not something that I do, but it's required. It need like I need myself to do it. I'm not using an instrument to do it. There's nothing external about it. It's all you. It's all me. Yeah. And I would like to make the comparison with an instrument. Like if a pianist comes, uh, has, has a performance, he will never come find the instrument, for example, uh, half existent or imagine you're taking part like a tiny part of a violin out of it. The, the violinist will never be able to play it in singing. We, ne we are never in hundred percent. Like every morning I wake up, I might have a sore muscle. I might not feel great in my voice. I might have eaten something like, and I need to adapt to a new body every day. The thing is when you're under pressure, you stop listening to a lot of body signals. And when you're young, you want to prove yourself. Uh, and when you have a lot of competition, you want to prove that you're as good as others. And also when you're young, you don't know what the, the, the limit is. Yes, and you think you're you young, you can do everything. You, yeah. you exactly. think you can just keep going. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, and how did I it thought manifest itself, the, 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 the burnout that you felt? How did it manifest itself? It took me time to even realize it because I thought I'd only need a week off and I'd be up and running again. Mm -hmm. And I realized it took six months. Wow. And six it was months. Over, six months. And I stopped singing for six months. I didn't think I would stop for six months, but I had to always 
push my brake, push my brake, push my brake. And you weren't practicing? You weren't doing singing I couldn't. at all? I couldn't. You couldn't. My voice wasn't responding anymore. And and I remember my, very and well. And you were 25? I was 25 back then. And what did you feel? How did What did you think? It was you, horrible. You were anxious, right, about your future then? Yeah, because I was supposed to rest and I couldn't because I didn't have a voice. Yeah. So, not that I didn't, I could speak and everything, but I felt I lost my singing voice. And... Um, and I, I just was very, everyone was like, you need a rest. And it's very hard to rest when something like this is happening to you. And because it's was a cycle, like, you get anxious and then your body can't rest. Exactly. You have it doesn't cycle. help at all to exactly. get better. You have exactly. to really detach. And I've never done this before. So, and I was too much in my work. I wasn't sleeping very well and sleep is major in, in singing as well. I mean, for everyone, but also for, for singers. And um, I and remember. How did you get out of it? I got out. Of, I got out of it when I started believing that my voice will come when it comes, and my health comes first. Because I I felt very, very, very like with time when I started to think about what I'm actually going through, I realized with time that it was a burnout because I was not getting better, and I was uh, I was quite tired for a very long period of time. I wasn't in the mood of doing anything. And I was very depressed because I kept on canceling concerts. Uh, of course, there was on the financial side also big problems because I had counted on very important concerts to to live, and I couldn't earn any make any money because I had to continue on canceling. And I had something where no doctor could tell me you'll be fine in two months or you'll be fine. All the doctors told me have a rest and your voice will come when it comes. So I was like, what a year, two years? But I have performances in 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 a year's time. Will I be ready by then? I need to prepare. And I couldn't tell anymore when I'll be fine again. And it was the first time I had to think, like, if I'm not going to be an opera singer, what am I going to do in life? And what did you think? It was so hard. <laughs> I felt so confused because I felt like, what will I be? be will I be an actress? Will I teach? Now I'm 25. I don't yeah. want to start teaching. Yeah. I, I barely know anything about <laughs> opera. <laughs> but it must have been an extremely anxious time. But it was very hard. But then I started to do... And that, that, I think, is what healed me. After a few months, I started doing a lot of things that I always wanted to do and like never what? did. Like because, I, as I said, I always worked. So yeah. I never planned a spontaneous trip in my life. You know, going on EasyJet, I remember I found a trip to Amsterdam with my sister that cost 29 euros. And we just booked and you just a trip. Went. I've never done this in my life. And it was beautiful. I just and had, had no trip. commitments, no exactly. schedule, nothing. Over a weekend, yeah. and we just took, it's very easy to take a plane within Europe. I took a plane with my sister. We spent a weekend in Amsterdam. I've never done this before. And, and how did it make you feel? This is something people do at 19. So yeah, I was like, and how did it make you feel? Just I was free. so happy. Yeah, and I, and I remembered how much I love dancing. And I remember like how, why haven't I... Uh, ever given dancing that much attention in my life. And I started dancing every day and taking lessons every day. So your and body just um, relaxed. Yeah, you just because relaxed. I, f I found the flow in something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found something that I love to do as much as singing in something else, which I've never given enough attention. Did you turn to things like yoga, meditation? Not like at one point, but I wouldn't say that this has been the thing that really made the difference. Yeah. Like, as I said, I put my energy... for you. Absolutely. Because it, it, it was a sense of freedom when you dance, you yeah. feel free. And I forgot about my voice. 
It was something I did where I didn't need to think whether, and it was something that I did not in a professional way. So I enjoyed so much doing all the mistakes. It was for you. It was for me. Was and for I, I did a mistake with pride yeah. and I knew no one is judging me. I don't care if someone says I dance well or I don't dance well. I was learning something new. And I you was said enjoying earlier it. that you, you liked to do tango. Yes. So and that, that's what I did. And that's what you did. Yeah. So do you have a regular partner? No, I dance like I dance with my teacher and in tango, it's beautiful because you go to a milonga and you meet everyone yeah. who's into dancing. So you dance with so many different and people. And where do you do that? Wherever you are. In Europe. You are. In Europe. Where, which I always have in. my dance shoes with me. That's amazing. Yeah. Like so my that's dance. your outlet. That's how you relax. I finish a performance and then I go dancing. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, in each city, it. you know where to go. It's very easy online to see where milonga will take place. Like um, Berlin is a very strong tango city. Milano as well, Paris. Paris, you have the Milongas in front of the Tour Eiffel. Uh, That's incredible. And yeah, it's beautiful. And so every night you can find somewhere to go. Every night you can find something somewhere. Wow. To go. And where did you learn? In Berlin. I learned Berlin. in Milano. Actually, a very nice story how I how I came to tango. Because I always danced, but I never da learned how to dance tango until I was. It's a beautiful uh, dance. I I it. To when I learned it, tango, incredible. I realized that I wasn't dancing before. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it has become the major dance in my life. So I remember I was in Milano and we were preparing for the magic flute with a director. And then in one scene, I was supposed to hug my my lover Tamino in the opera, my partner. And then um, I didn't know him so well. So he said, okay, now you're going to run and, and like and jump all over him yeah. and hug him. And then when he saw that scene, he realized that there is zero chemistry. <laughs> and he thought like, it's impossible. I will never allow you to hug someone like that on stage. You need to connect. So you need to, you need to do something about that. And he actually went to the academy and told them that I want to have tango lessons for these two for about six months so they can get to know each other. And it was incredible. Wow. And this is, that was actually my, my entry to tango. And I, I met my teacher through that course. And of course, it was a beautiful way to get to know the other person as well and yeah. also feel comfortable in your sure. own skin with someone because sure. on stage we are quite physical. So it and was it a very you feel safe with that person. Safe yeah. and in a very beautiful, respectful way. I think that's the best way to teach also girls and boys to get to know each other physically. With, with like with being respectful to mm -hmm, each other mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm very thankful to my parents because they have introduced me to dance at 14 so I already how to I knew how to dance waltz and foxtrot and standard tango and mambo and rumba and cha-cha-cha and swing alongside your early singing yeah and, and that was beautiful because I always felt comfortable yeah. with the with the with the opposite sex yeah. in that sense yeah. and it was very very nice wow so, that's amazing so that's how I got so into tango that's a really important part of your life very important yeah, that's incredible. But I loved how the director actually thought about tango yes. to make us learn how to get how comfortable to with, with each together other. physically on stage. Exactly, exactly. So that's amazing. <laughs> no, so I'm happy I still carry it with me yeah. even how many, six years later. I cannot live without it anymore. So I'm very grateful to that. Have you ever been to Argentina? Not yet. So that's I'm obviously, dying yeah, to you've go. got to go there. <laughs> So tell me, Fatma, about your album. Yeah. So I know that it came out last year, right? Mm, it came it's out. It's beautiful. Thank you. I listened you listen to it. To I it? loved it. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I, I actually worked to it. Lovely. Yeah. I'm very it's glad really, to hear that. really, really lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That makes me very happy. No, but tell me about it because uh, um, it's, um, I, I mean, I don't know much about the sort of 
classical music uh, uh, profession uh, in terms of recording. Okay, I don't know where to start because, okay, the name of the album is El Noor, which is the light. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to shed light on certain different types of music that maybe other cultures or, or, or other people are not very familiar with and show that there are actually very strong connections. And not because I'm Egyptian or singing and you sing Arabic. Arabic exactly. And not because I sing Arabic means that a French person or a German wouldn't really relate to it. Yeah. And that there are a lot of elements that you could use to make people relate mm -hmm. to Arabic music and vice versa, which was very important to me. The idea was to put music in the center point and not the words. And it was amazing for me when I did some research on composers who are quite uh, obsessed with the Middle East, how they put Middle Eastern music while they've never been actually to the Middle East and their own imagination about what does it look like, Persia? Or uh, what does it look like? Their Egypt. interpretation of it. Yes, yeah. and, and their own, like, you know, Carmen, you might yes, know the opera of, of Carmen, who wrote it is Bizet, yeah. Georges Bizet. He has never been to Spain yeah. before. Yeah. And he wrote the most incredible Spanish piece ever. I, I love how their imagination, how limitless it was. Mm -hmm. you now, if you had been to Egypt and you would write about Egypt, you know what you're talking yeah. about. But if you've never been, you have a much wider Absolutely. sense of imagination yeah. to imagine what it could have of been course, like. Of course, of course. And, and what about Verdi when he wrote Aida? Yeah, Had that he been too, to Egypt? That too. He I hadn't been to so, Egypt, no, I think. I don't think so. Yeah. They call it Aida in Europe, but Aida in Egypt, right? Yeah, Aida. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But I think that, you know, the same thing I always say. Great composers always have that. Abdel Waheb, Muhammad Abdel Waheb, he wrote a lot about pharaonic music. Well, has he ever lived in the pharaonic period? No, but he kind of created an, uh, a very strong uh, 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 vibe to pharaonic music that makes you think, now when you listen to it, you think pharaohs, but you've never actually lived in the time of pharaohs to think, but he created yeah, it. Yeah. And I think this is brilliant. Do you feel like you have the, the desire or the ability to write? Is that something write that attracts music? you? Yeah. I don't think this is my it's zone, not your... or maybe not yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm more of a, an interpreter. And what about um, crossover? Mm -hmm. Like crossing over to do um, singing with a with a pop star? You know, yeah. like uh, the three tenors in the yeah. in the nineties yeah. did yeah. that. Do you see that as an as something you'd be interested in or absolutely yeah absolutely. that's kind of fun and yeah. you reach an entirely different audience as well very much yeah. so no i i would love to do collaborations with, like who uh, for example who uh, didn't lady gaga do something like that <laughs> she's got a voice that can yeah i think she sang with well. um she sang with this tony bennett tony no? bennett she yeah. did, and she, yeah. i think she did an album yeah. if i'm not mistaken she still performs with yeah. them and she I think has that's a voice wonderful. like that could you know that could yeah. work in a crossover situation. Yeah. yeah. And, and Ed Sheeran sang with Bocelli. That's uh, so right. So did Beyonce. So I think, and, and Pavarotti, of course, of course, he started all that. Of course. And I loved all his it was collaborations. Fun. It was with a really, Celine Dion. Exactly. And, and, it was a fun. Uh, yeah. And it, 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 it attracted a different audience to opera, who Tama. then discovered of pure course. opera, you know? Of course. For of that, course. that's an interesting thing. I think it's thing. very important. Yeah. And I hope I can do that also with Arabic music. Exactly. So that's. Exactly. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> so, as you know, the podcast is called What I Did Next. Um, what do you feel is next for you, Fatma? I mean, I hope I can. It's very hard for me to to speak about what, like what kind of dream I have next. Or And as I said, I'm quite anxious about planning ahead. So 
I always feel also after the experience I've had so far, my small experience I've had so far, I hope that whatever I do next, I can always be happy doing it. And I think that health is so important. So I hope I can keep my health and and be happy. And then whatever comes, if I ch decide to change careers, if I decide to do something else, stick to what I'm doing, I, I hope I can always do it with passion and, and be happy because there are so many unhappy people in this, uh, like really like the Pagliacci as he's saying <laughs> opera, you go on stage, you make people laugh yeah, or you, yeah. you touch people what you're doing yeah. or you have a smile on your face. You seem to be successful and or have a lot of money. And I've met a lot of people and me, myself, sometimes I go back to my room and I, I could be quite unhappy sometimes or lonely. Oh, yeah, everybody. And and when you're on stage, you're quite alone yes. as well. So I hope that whatever I do, I can always still be happy and, and keep my drive and whatever I'm going to do in life. I think Because that's you're very, clearly very passionate about what you're doing. Yeah, and, and this you passion want to keep needs that. to stay. Yeah. And in order to stay, it's important to have a break, to miss singing a bit. Of course. <laughs> Go back to of it. Of course. And, and also um, work on yourself to, to, to develop. I think I, I hope so much that I can have a long career. But the, the, it, my sister was just telling me, Life doesn't get better than this moment we're living right now. Like tomorrow won't be. Tomorrow is a new day and we'll see how it goes, but it won't get better than yeah. right now. So it's always very hard for me to think about the future. I yeah. try not to think, especially after the Corona experience. Well. <laughs> you want to live in the present as much as possible. I think yeah. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I would rather have that. Fatma, it was an absolute <laughs> joy to have you on the show. Malak, like, I didn't feel the time. So I'm thank so you. I'm glad you came on the show. Honestly, this was a real treat for me. Thank you for listening today. This episode of What I Did Next was brought to you by ANT Media with me, Malak Fuad, and is co-produced by Shirag Desai. Please remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for updates on the show. Just search for What I Did Next. We are now also on Twitter, so you could also follow us there. I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review in your podcast player of choice. Our next episode will be in two weeks' time. We hope you can join us then.